It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, hey, Teresa, what were your highlights from last week? We got to stream a concert with my son down at his concert band at UVO. Oh, that's exciting. And then he got a small scholarship. He auditioned for the Garter Band at UVO, and he's playing saxophone for them. It's like, I want to say 12 to 14 kids are part of this special band. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's very cool. Did you hear about this sweet family who's on the cover of October Parents Magazine? Oh my gosh, you stole one of my stories. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's awesome. The Kindest Family. The Kindest Family, yes. Yes. Well, and I used to love that magazine, but my my whole, my little fam's outgrown it. Too old, but I didn't realize that the judges were from the Today Show, the third hour host. (laughs) My face. How did you not know this? Dylan Dylan Dreyer, Chanel Jones, Craig Melvin, who we talked about Mm -hmm. in episode 51, and Al Roker. I just Mm -hmm. love that. But I guess I read that the judges, after hearing their story, they were like, hands down, they have to be the winners. The Barron family, who live in Oklahoma, lost their oldest son, Keaton, in 2018 to acute lymphoblastic uh, leukemia. Uh, he was just eight years old. Keaton was an extraordinary kiddo, very positive, courteous, just caring despite battling leukemia since age two and a half. He never complained about treatments. He always had a good attitude, which is really inspiring. At age six, he became involved with Art with a Heart auction. Uh, that's a great mm-hmm. nonprofit we have to look into because it's really, really cool. They do. We it need for to make all, a list. Of yeah, these. yeah. A lot of or. A lot of different organizations, but what I what's really neat is they get people painting and doing something. But mm-hmm. in his case, he painted a chameleon that was uh, auctioned off for the Oklahoma Children's Cancer Association. His painting is darling, and I guess it was a welcome uh, change for Keaton due to his immune system being compromised. School activities and anything social was mm-hmm. not an option for him. So this. Art Day offered him a chance to play without worrying about germs, something fun, be a normal kid, and it was safe. And I just love the idea of children getting to express themselves uh, through art. art. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. In 2017, he was hospitalized with the flu, and a family friend, Kay Tagner, visited him in the hospital and suggested they start a club, which is pretty darn cute. They came up with the name K-Club since Keaton's nickname was K, and K's name started with K. They also decided a membership should be a dollar and proceeds would go to a charity. Keaton drew up the logo, which is a K with bright stripes and fringe. It's really cute. And he really enjoyed planning his new club. And, of course, he's the president of the club. And Kay and his parents made membership cards with the club's mission, a Bible verse, Matthew 5.16, um, which is really beautiful. Just so let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Heavenly Father. And at first, the K-Club started with just a few nurses, family, uh, friends, and then it grew. Uh, And it was a great distraction for Keaton while he continued to receive um, treatments. Mm -hmm. And as president, he decided to pay for, uh, which I just love this, a well in the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo. 
He bought Aww. part of a cow through Heifer International. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the rest of the money, he bought balloons, which is so kind of Bob Goff. But he bought them for all the other patients on his floor. Oh, my goodness. So sweet. I'm just so amazed by this young boy's heart. And tragically, the treatment was unsuccessful, and he passed away on May 11, 2018. Shortly after his death, Keaton's Kindness Foundation became an official nonprofit. Now, Keaton's Kindness Foundation spreads random acts of kindness to pediatric cancer patients and their families around the world. They provide Lego sets to pediatric cancer patients, special care packages to children under hospice care. And this is really hard, but they also support, uh, assist families with funeral costs um, who lost their child to cancer. It's just a necessity. It's necessity. In, yeah. in 2018, K-Club participated in the St. Jude Walk and the Run to End Childhood Cancer. They fundraised over $8,000. And I just love their mission statement, to be kind to others, be courageous, compassionate, and caring. Just what an incredible boy and family in such a beautiful way to honor his life by continuing uh, his legacy. Especially taking a hardship and making it something so beautiful. Exactly. So I really wanted to find a breast cancer survivor for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I guess more than a survivor, I wanted to find someone who's not only survived breast cancer, but actually thrived. After all, with one in eight women facing the battle at some point in their life, there are likely to be some famous people in the mix. So I knew about Shannon Doherty, and sadly she's currently fighting metatastic breast cancer again. I knew Cheryl Crow was diagnosed early on. Julia Louis-Dreyfus was diagnosed early. And someday I want to do a deep dive with her because her story is just, I think, super inspiring. I love that she took to social media to encourage more extensive health care right. coverage. I read that she she knew she had a great support system and she had the union and really good insurance. So she knew she was going to be okay, but she said she was a lucky one. There are yeah. a lot of women that don't have the same story. But Joan London, Wanda oh, yeah. Sykes, Melissa Etheridge, Peter Chris from the band Kiss. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, he um, oh. also speaks out against breast cancer because men also can get it. Right. Suzanne Summers, Christina Applegate. Yeah. Jacqueline Smith. Right. Kate Jackson, also oh, wow. from Charlie's Angels. Shirley Temple Black, Nancy Reagan, Rita Wilson, Peggy Fleming, Julia Child. Oh, I didn't know that. Betsy Johnson, which I knew because I, I love her as a fashion icon. And Olivia Newton-John is on her third round fighting breast cancer. Plus, there are many who have fought courageously and lost the battle. Ingrid Bergman, Kelly Preston. I know. Last was, year. Yeah. Betty Davis, Linda McCarthy, Lynn Redgrave, Nina Simone, Elizabeth Edwards, who is the wife of John Edwards, Rachel Carson, right. who we talked about yeah. earlier, and from my I Love Lucy show, Vivian Vance. Okay. Which I didn't know. Oh. One in eight is pretty sobering, but this little podcast has really opened my eyes to see how truly extraordinary things come in dark times. Right. And that's one thing I've loved about learning stuff. Yeah. Good times don't teach us nearly as much as the tough times do. That's so true. I know. <laughs> so Sadly, hard. I wish it wasn't the case. But. So as I was looking for someone, you know, to cover for this month, my son's girlfriend suggested Tig Natarno for my Breast Cancer oh, Awareness Month inspiration. It was very sweet, and I had no idea who that was. 
Um, and after after looking into her, it didn't surprise me much because you have to keep in mind that I love Lucy's in the background at my home. I mean, oh, Lucille yeah. Ball is yeah. still my favorite and will always be my favorite. I loved Wayne Brady on the comedy improv show. Oh, I like him. Too. Well, yeah, whose line is whose it? Whose line is Yes, that's right. Sorry. Um, but someday we need to go to com- comedy sports oh, when, down on Kearney in that'd Portland. Be fun. It's very fun. But I've seen Seinfeld, John Oliver, Trevor Noah, and definitely love a tasteful comedy show. There's a fun show on Netflix right now called Travels with My Father. Oh. So worth watching. I'll check that out. But anyway, I feel I feel for comedy right now. Yeah. I just know that people are worried about offending everyone because everyone's offended, and it's hard to deliver in that dynamic. Right, right. So when I read Tig Notarno's book, before I watched or listened to any of her interviews, it made me a little nervous. I knew I really liked Tig reading her book. But I wasn't quite sure I'd be as big of a fan of her as an open mic comedian. Right, yeah. So I saw a clip of her on Ellen, saw a few things online, and then um, listened to a podcast with her on Maya Bellick's Breakdown, which is a really good mental health podcast. Oh, cool. I'll have to check that out. And I was just so relieved that she's even more delightful in in person, I think, (laughs) their quotes than in her book. This woman has had incredible success and yet so open and down to earth. She, I guess, was nominated for a Grammy. Oh, okay. For, it's called Live, not, it looks like Tig Notarno Live, but it's Tig Notarno Live. Okay. She didn't win the Grammy, but still that's nominated. Awesome. So that's huge. That's huge, yeah. Um, but she talks about raw pain and hurt, which I just find so refreshing. Not because I want to hear how others are suffering, but more so because we all have hard things in oh, life. Yeah. And I appreciate that she doesn't hide her hard times. Instead, she puts them out front and center for the rest of us to interpret as we will. And maybe even laugh in the midst of those struggles, which I think is refreshing. Yeah. We need laughter. To find some humor or something, you know. Seriously, bottom line, we just need more laughter in the world. And Tig most certainly makes that happen with her deadpan approach. She's not animated like my favorite Lucille Ball or Ellen back when she did her sitcom. Yeah. Um, but more of a dry kind of sarcastic take on everyday aspects of life, which I generally don't like sarcasm. I often find it somewhat rude, being totally honest. But this lady pulls it off, and after reading everything she's endured, it makes me appreciate her dedication to make people laugh even more. Well, I think in a lot of ways, Tig had a fairly common American upbringing. I wouldn't go so far as to say that it was normal by any means. She was born... Matilda Notaro. Okay. Her mom, Susie, had been raised in a very rigid household where children were to be seen and not heard. So her mother Susie's great-grandfather was Matt Fitzpatrick, the mayor of New Orleans, from 1892 to 1896. And Susie, Tig's mother, grew up with money and privilege, or at least until she left for college. Yeah. So Susie, the mom, rebelled against her uptight, judgmental upbringing all the way through her adulthood, pretty much. Tig's father wasn't really in the picture for the majority of her life. Her parents divorced when she was just six months old. But by the time she was two, a friend of her grandma's had set up Susie, the mom, on a blind date. The blind date worked. Rick was a good fit, and he brought a strong military background. He was disciplined. And most importantly, he supported, you know, he helped with both Tig and her older brother, Renault. So, most importantly, they, Susie and Rick just adored each other. Oh, that's sweet. 
So while some kids saw Tig's mom as the cool mom, (laughs) Tig most certainly did not. She didn't want a mom who was the life of the party, which was Susie. But she wanted a mom who was in her life. Like her mom, she was like, we didn't have dinner on the table at six or whatever. More traditional. Yeah. She did not have a traditional upbringing in any way, shape, or form. Susie loved hanging by the pool, beer, and cigarette in hand. She was often late picking up the kids, or she forgot altogether. She had even tucked the kids into bed sometimes, and she'd sneak out of the house to go do something. Yeah, but she loved to live life to the fullest, including driving the kids into the drive-thru backwards. Oh, wow. Just Funny. to just give to them something. Yeah, to give them, because why not? Yeah. Give them the experience. She also taught Tig her life's mantra, go to hell. Yeah. So for Susie, <laughs> if anyone irritated her in the least, rather than getting all upset about it, she'd just tell them to go to hell and be done with it. And that has kind of carried on yeah. with Tig. She's just like, mm. And just lets it roll. Well, that's kind of nice. <laughs> I wish I was more like that. I, I get so worried about people and uh, thoughts. Me and too. And it's just, it's kind of funny because that's so opposite of what my mom Oh, yeah, totally. Taught me. But while I don't think Tig necessarily inherited Susie's attention-seeking behavior, always wanting to be in the spotlight and definitely was an extrovert. I feel like she did get a bit of that. After all, how can she would do what she does without a little right, bit of you gotta it? be able to be I up know. on stage and take it. The situations she puts herself in as a comedian are not for the faint of heart and most definitely not for an introvert. I think her mom gave her a confidence to be herself and not care what other people might think of her. As a young adult, her mom was in a terrible car accident, thrown from the windshield of the car. She obviously recovered, but later she served martinis and nuts at some get-together, and the nuts were served in a tray she had in the hospital for her vomit. Oh. And the olives in the martinis were skewered with pins that had held her toes while she was recovering. The lady was using these at... At, like, dinner parties. Wow. So talk about quirky. That's really out there. <laughs> um, and watching Tig perform, I think she inherited a bit of that. I think it's hard to believe that Tig struggled in school when you look at her extensive list of accomplishments. Wow. And you hear her yeah. talk or, yeah. you know, you read her stuff. She She's a smart gal. And by struggling in school, I mean, she had a couple of rounds trying to get through eighth grade. Wow. And finally, by the third one, they gave her an automatic pass to the ninth grade after failing a couple times. So she was three years older than her classmates. and That's got to be hard at that age. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing when you're in kindergarten, but yeah. eighth grade, that's hard. And embarrassing at first. And she couldn't compete with her brother, who was nearly a straight-A student. So you had that yeah. dynamic going on as right. well. Right. That's stressful. So she became the class clown and spent quite a bit of time in ISS, <laughs> in school suspension. Oh. She decided in ninth grade that she didn't have to be there. Oh. So she yeah. walked out and quit. Wow. With basically, bottom line, a seventh grade education because they had given her that automatic pass, pass. for so many yeah. times. Maybe trying. she was just done trying, yeah. you know? You'd think her mom would be disappointed, but I think Susie was more relieved in a sense because it was hard keeping Tig at school. It had just been exhausting for the poor mom. Tig would go on to get her GED, and she's very proud of it. That's awesome. Apparently, she only has partial proof of it since her cat ate a chunk of the (laughs) certificate. 
And she has it framed, the part mm-hmm. of the certificate that didn't end up in the litter box. But after floating around for a bit and finding herself, she loved music and comedy. She was in a couple bands and oh, wow. stuff. So cool. she's definitely a talented young lady. But in 2011, her career and personal life were going as good as ever. Then in early March, she developed a bit of a sore throat, and she had no idea the struggles that would lie ahead. She'd had pneumonia. She'd been diagnosed with C. diff. I don't know what that is. Which I had never heard of, but it's a bacterial infection in the intestines that can wreak all sorts of havoc on the body. Basically, she was so emaciated and just had trouble keeping food down. That sounds horrible. Not only did she feel awful, the pictures that show her during this time, she just was an unhealthy-looking young woman. While in the hospital, she resisted the hospital. She called it hospital heroin. Dialed, dude. Oh, okay. I'm not sure what that yeah. is, but she looks up on her whiteboard and it's scheduled for two, four, six, you wow. know, every two hours. Yeah. She basically had it. And then that just tells you how much pain she was in. Right. She just needed that much pain medicine. But on top of that, the board had a um, question mark next to the discharge date. So oh. she just was in there indefinitely. So Eight days later, she was released and kind of putting together a small celebration for her 41st birthday. She had a voicemail from her mom wishing her a happy birthday and noting that that Susie and her stepfather, Rick, wanted to come out to California for a visit. She, on the voicemail, lovingly referred to her as Fluff, which I guess was a childhood nickname she had from her messy bedhead as a kid, which I thought was very cute. That's cute, yeah. So still on the mend and trying to catch up with life. She, She didn't get back to her mom right away. Right. So two days later, she missed a call from Rick saying this This was the voicemail. Hi, Tig. This is Rick. I'm afraid I have some terrible news for you. Your mother fell last night, and it looks like she's not going to make it. Please give Aww. me a call. Thank you. So they had been watching Jimmy Kimmel, and she stood up and must have slipped, hit her head. He checked for signs of a concussion. She seemed to be fine. She stayed up watching TV. He went to bed. When he got up the next morning, she was still sitting in the same spot, and there was, like, some blood from oh, no. so anyway he rushed her to the got her to the hospital and and she never regained yeah. consciousness oh. so tragic yeah. tragic story That's... but i just tig felt terribly guilty and wondered if she'd called her mom back if she would have somehow altered the trajectory right, of her right. life and and stopped her from slipping and hitting her head and obviously in no way it was her fault but still it was you early stages wonder, yeah you know of processing her loss and i yeah just Without being in that place, I can't even imagine. I know, yeah. She flew out to say goodbye to her mother. Her mother, like I said, never regained consciousness and died soon after they removed her from the life support. She was still reeling from the death of her mother. She had had a breakup with a girlfriend, not to mention she still was recovering from the oh C. Diff. gosh, yeah. So she's when, weak. <laughs> yes. I, I mean... mean Blow after blow after blow. And then she found out she had bilateral breast cancer. So her book definitely goes over the shock she felt at hearing that she had cancer. Yeah. It felt like a death sentence. Right. Oh, my gosh. She had lived a healthy life, stopped smoking years ago, so it really seemed to come out of nowhere. Tig had found a lump and actually teased her girlfriend about it. She said she found one, like, two years previously. And just, you know, it seemed kind of symmetrical, and it didn't – it – didn't seem like it was worrisome. So right. um, she had teased with her girlfriend about one of the lumps being cancer. She was so sure that it wasn't cancer that she'd asked if she wanted to touch her cancer, making a whole joke out of it. Oh, my gosh. And having oh, no, no idea it wasn't a joke. Right. So oh I guess she had teased a lot about having a small chest and used the bit in shows. 
And so now she teases that her boobs were trying to kill her oh. for all of those jokes. But, I mean, she just had no idea yeah. that it really... Oh, my... That yeah. She was teasing about it. it was, right. It was going to be true. She opted for a double mastectomy since there, uh, you know, as I said, was cancer on both sides. And the surgeon felt she got clean margins. And so uh, Tig opted to not do chemotherapy. Chemo most likely would have killed her. You have to remember she was super frail, super weak, still from the C. diff. So she opted to not do chemo. She also decided to not pursue reconstruction, noting that she didn't have much there before. And why go through all that? One thing she did want to go through was becoming a mom. Oh, yeah. So she'd always wanted to be a mother and was determined to give it a go. Her medical team described it like throwing lighter fluid on a fire because she was she wanted to use, you know, um, in vitro fertilization right. and all estrogen. Yes. Yeah, not, probably not good. So that would increase her risk of a recurrence. So she waited and she followed her heart and decided to give it a try with surrogate. Sadly, she only had one chance. You know, they, oh, they gave her yeah. this one chance, and then they were, they were like, you have to go on the estrogen blockers to save your life. So even sadder little Jack didn't make it. Aww. So this woman has been through so much in such a short time. We're talking like a four-month period with oh all gosh. of this stuff happening. Yeah, that's a, that's a shit storm. I know. <laughs> I, I know. Say the language there. I but. just, I, I can't. She doesn't use that, but I'm sure she. I'm sure she has. <laughs> I just came but to no, I'm sorry. It's it totally. I just yeah. It's like what else can right? You what throw else at can me? happen? Completely unfair. And this is the type of story that makes me doubt karma. I mean, seriously, right. this is a good woman, yeah. and yet all this stuff's happening. She questioned being honest at shows, but ultimately decided to be completely candid, and people appreciated that. I think she even did a couple shows topless. Wow, that's so brave! Oh my gosh, weirdly admire. Yeah, because it's not that's that's not yeah my thing at all. But um, a mastectomy is scary and leaves you feeling just so disfigured. And Tip totally flipped that around. Yeah, she said, "I have scars because my body healed." Wow. So I love that take on it. Yeah, twist. It's not. She reminded me that scars are a sign of strength, not weakness. So while I'm most certainly not going to be doing anything topless after my mastectomy, I appreciate her bravery. Yeah. Um, Another major point that resonated with me in her book was that she noted that it's at rock bottom, oddly, where we often become most fruitful. When she went out and told everyone she had cancer, it was most certainly courageous, and she could have taken it a number of ways, but she followed her heart. She said, now it was my job as a comedian to get every silenced stunned person back to laughing i'd go deep with the truth of what had been happening even in a joke and when the room got quiet or i hear a lot of oh <laughs> i would make it my mission to yank everyone out of the dark hole by delivering a lighter joke or asking why they were taking this so hard which caused the laughter that we all needed right so i love that she's taking just something so painful so hard and yet also seeing the humor in it right making some levity out of yeah. it yeah Tig Natarno kind of surprised me. I didn't think I'd admire her as much as I do. She's a serious tomboy, rough around the edges, not someone I picture giving out a bunch of hugs. But yet she's lighting up the world in her own unique way. Right, yeah. She's using her humor, experiences, and her journey to help us get through ours. And I respect her a ton. Her honesty, her candidness are so admirable. 
I'm just happy she's in a better place now. Married happily to her wife, Stephanie. Twin boys and a kitty. Oh. Um, it's a good lesson that we never know where we're going to end up. Right. And how to get to that place of peace and happiness. But we just have to trust and stay the course. On days I feel like I'm having some bad luck, I'm going to think of yeah. Tim Taro right. with um, her book, I'm Just a Person. And remember that... So many times it seems like the universe was stacked against her, but she just didn't give up. She just kept moving forward. She kept on doing her thing and making people laugh, and I respect her resilience, but more so admire her desire to give people a laugh. Yeah, that's a a gift. Definitely. Not many people have had as much bad luck as I have, but not many people have had as much good luck either. Tignataro. Most Americans are aware that one of the three branches of government is the Supreme Court. However, a shocking number of Americans have little idea what the Supreme Court does or who is on it. The Supreme Court is the highest court in the United States. Each state has its own court system, and above them is the federal court system. There are three levels of the federal court. There are federal district courts, which cover smaller areas, usually for the entire state. Then there is the Federal Court of Appeals, which will cover a larger area, usually more than one state, and often several states. And then above that is the United States Supreme Court. Cases get decided in the federal district courts and then can be appealed to the Federal Court of Appeals, and then they can ultimately be appealed up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So although the U.S. Supreme Court gets to pick which cases get heard, very few cases ever get heard by the Supreme Court. Wow. Usually yeah. those cases are reserved for the most important issues, often implicating important constitutional rights. Most Americans are just not familiar with the judges on the Supreme Court called justices. These nine justices greatly shape the laws in our country. Individual rights, business laws, tax laws, and even rules of politics. One of these days, I am going to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RGB. Yeah, Um, that'll be good. My brother and sister-in-law gave me her book, and I still have not, for my birthday, I still haven't read it. So she's going to be a future podcast, because she's one of my personal heroes and a former Supreme Court justice. But today I'm going to talk about one of the current Supreme Court justices, Sonia Sotomayor. Sonia Sotomayor was appointed to the Supreme Court in 2009 by then-President Barack Obama to replace retiring Justice David Souter. At the time, Justice Sotomayor was the third woman appointed to the Supreme Court, which is pretty amazing wow. in itself. Yeah, that's really... There have only been five in total. Sandra Day O'Connor was the first appointed in 1981 by Ronald Reagan, which I totally remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's since, amazing there's not been more. Well, in RBGs, she, one of her quotes, and I'm not, I'm going to misquote it, but they asked her, you know, how many is enough? And she's like, once there are equal men and women right. on the Supreme Court, that's when there are enough women on the, on yeah, the court. that's well said. Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and most recently, Amy Comey Barrett. Sonia Sotomayor was the first Hispanic and the first woman of color to be sworn in as a justice of the Supreme Court. Her story is sort of like the American dream. Sonia was born in the the Bronx borough of New York City in 1954, so she's the same age as my mom. Her parents were both from Puerto Rico, but met in New York during World War II. Her father didn't speak English and worked as a tool and die maker, and her mother was an orphan who moved to New York to become a telephone operator and then a practical nurse. They were poor and lived in a tenement in the South Bronx in a largely Puerto Rican neighborhood. Her father was an alcoholic, and while he wasn't abusive, he wasn't 
very present. Her father died from heart problems when, you, when Sonia was just nine. He was only 42. Wow. Yes, so young. So yeah. young. young. Wow. She had a difficult relationship with her mother, but also found her an inspiration to work hard. She was very close to her grandmother, who said she made her feel safe and loved. She was very close with her extended family and made frequent trips to Puerto Rico during the summers. After her father died, the family moved into a more ethnically diverse housing project, which was a step up, but still a poor neighborhood. She'd started to learn English and made it her goal to become fluent, having been raised in a home where Spanish was spoken. To make things even tougher, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which required her to take regular insulin shots every day. Sonia's mother, Selena, greatly valued education. Selena even bought an entire set of encyclopedias for Sonia and her youngest brother, Juan. I remember remember those. I was was going to say, I can see those in my parents' bookshelf that was the, that, yeah what was it encyclopedia britannica britannica yes. i remember pulling those out for those reports yep. we would no one would use those now yeah no back in the day that's how we did our reports um, selena pushed her kids to become fluent in english and achieve academically originally sonia thought she was going to be a detective because oh, she wow. loved nancy drew books However, her diabetes doctors encouraged her to look at other career paths. Oh, almost like yeah. they didn't think she could be a, detect- a detective with type 1 diabetes. So she changed her mind. When she was 10, she decided she was going to go to college and be an attorney. Wow. When asked why she was going to do that, she responded that after watching Perry Mason, <gasps> she decided she wanted to be a judge. I love Perry Mason. Oh, me too. Sonia, who was raised Roman Catholic, went to, went to Catholic private schools on scholarship. She always did well in school, but had difficulty with tests, which she attributed in part to learning English later in life. She made the most of these educational opportunities, even being a valedictorian, being in student government, and being involved in debate. All of this was in the late 60s and early 70s when gangs, drugs, and violence were taking over South Bronx. Fortunately, they were also able to move to a different part of the Bronx that was quite a bit safer. She got into Princeton on a full scholarship. Very impressive. This is the first time that Sonia acknowledges that she got into a school based on affirmative action. Because her test scores were not as high as most other students getting into Princeton, Sonia is a big supporter of affirmative action, and she sees herself as a textbook example of a hardworking student who gets into a good school, even though her test scores were not as high because minority students have statistically been disadvantaged in testing. As she described it, To create the conditions whereby students from disadvantaged backgrounds could be brought to the starting line of a race, many were unaware was even being run. Right. So there were very few Latinos or other minority students at Princeton, and Sonia became active in school politics to try to encourage more minority admissions and hiring more minority faculty. She felt challenged in school because her English was not as good as the other students, so she had to work even harder. She spent a lot of time in the library studying even over the summers, and sought help from professors outside of class. Her first two years at Princeton were difficult, but she excelled in her junior and senior, getting almost straight A's. Wow, that's awesome. She did a senior thesis on the politics of Puerto Rico, which was 178 pages and won recognition in Latin American studies. She won several undergraduate honors and graduated summa cum laude from Princeton. Oh, man. She really kicked it. She did. That's awesome. Um, Top 5% of her graduating class. 
That's so, so cool. Definitely. After graduating from Princeton, Sonia got a full ride scholarship to Yale Law School. Oh, man. Again, affirmative action played yeah. a role. Despite Sonia's excellent academic record, she didn't do as well on the standardized testing, and affirmative action helped her move forward in her academic career. She did well in law school, but was not considered a superstar. She continued to advocate for the inclusion of more minorities in law school and the practice of law. She clerked with a law firm during law school, but didn't love the experience. Yeah. She graduated from Yale Law, which was pretty prestigious, and was immediately hired as a deputy district attorney for New York County. There were a lot of issues with rising crime, gang violence, drug crimes, and prostitution. She prosecuted cases on everything from shoplifting to murder cases and even tried cases involving police brutality, which at the time were difficult cases politically. She aggressively prosecuted child pornography cases. Oh, wow. Which was unusual, weirdly, at the time. As a DA, she was not afraid to venture into the tougher neighborhoods of New York to talk to witnesses or examine a crime scene. She made a reputation for herself as being smart, hardworking, and having a common-sense approach and a fearless and effective prosecutor. Unlike most prosecutors, after a few years of heavy caseload and constant negative energy on the job, she moved to private practice. With ambitions to be a judge, she felt she needed to round out her legal career with some work in the civil law world. During this time, she also worked on committees to advocate for affordable housing. After a few years in successful private practice, she was offered her first position as a judge for the federal New York Southern District Court. She was nominated in 1991 by President George H.W. Bush and was approved by the Senate. She was one of the youngest judges appointed and the first Hispanic district court judge in New York. As a district court judge, one of her most notable rulings was ending the baseball player strike in 1995, which would have jeopardized the season and changed how Major League Baseball franchises had to deal with their players. Oh, wow, okay. I vaguely remember I that. I kind of do. I'm not, but yeah. So off my radar. In 1997, President Bill Clinton nominated Sonia Sotomayor to the Federal Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, which covers New York, Connecticut, and Vermont. The Second Circuit is one of the most influential circuit courts in the country, largely because it covers New York City. This time, there was, um, was more of a fight to get past the Senate approval, with Republicans questioning her on her positions with gay rights, mandatory sentencing, and her criticism of sitting Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Still, she was approved by the Senate and gained a reputation for being vigorous and blunt and often putting attorneys in the hot seat with questions if she thought they were being less than candid. She asked smart questions for those attorneys who were prepared to appear before her panel of judges and was hard on attorneys coming into her court who were unprepared. In 2008, when Justice David Souter planned on retiring from the Supreme Court, Sonia Sotomayor was asked by President Obama to fill the vacant seat on the Supreme Court. This time, the battle in the Senate was over her nomination was much more partisan. Even far-right radio host Rush Limbaugh came out with multiple attacks calling Sonia racist because of her support for affirmative action and getting more non-whites into decision-making positions. But the American Bar Association gave her the highest professional recommendation of well-qualified. She eventually won the approval of the Senate with nine Republican senators supporting her nomination along with all the Democrats and independent senators. Since her appointment to the Supreme Court in 2009, Sonia Sotomayor has been an advocate for, for progressive policies but has strongly looked for existing law or constitutional law in support of her positions. While she tends to vote with the more liberal justices on the court, she keeps her sense of independence and votes based upon what she believes the law 
to be. Wow, yeah. She's advocated for police and judicial reform, privacy rights, and reforming immigration laws. From her very humble beginnings through hard work and determination, Sonia Sotomayor has shown us how it's possible to reach the American dream. This is what America is supposed to be about, even though she was poor, living in low-income housing, having diabetes, losing her father at age nine, taking on English at age 10, and her mother struggling as a single parent through Sonia's childhood. Sonia made it and now sits on the highest court in the land. Only one in five women. That's so awesome have ever done this. And she's the first Hispanic person to do it. So it goes to show what hard work and determination can do. Kind of makes you wonder what would have happened had her doctors talked her out of becoming, you know, Nancy Drew. But she certainly overshot her 10-year-old dream of being the judge on Perry Mason. And I love it. So... We've got our fun little questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite part. I'm getting to know you. Me too. Okay, favorite Halloween candy? Swedish Fish. Oh, followed so with good. yeah, Junior Mints. Mm, those are good. And Baby Ruth. Ooh. Which nobody likes Baby Ruth. I love Baby Ruth. Me too. You can't find them. even though it's terrible chocolate on the outside, but the nougat is so, so good. good. So yeah. yeah, I love that. Okay, this one I love. Hairdo regret. <laughs> <laughs> Ninth grade. Yeah. Short hair was very popular right. at the time. Yeah. And so I talked to my mom into taking me to their barber. Like, oh. They had a, bar- a friend yeah. that was a barber. And so I wanted to get a haircut at the barber shop. And she tried to talk me out of it because yeah. I was, yeah. But, yeah. Would you get, like, a crew cut or? No. Just kind but of. But really, barbers don't have, like. The finesse. They don't style right. your hair. They have a cut. That sure. they do. So that they're good at. I might find a picture. Okay, that's yes, I'm curious. Very short, short do. Okay, I'm curious. Favorite Halloween costume? This is embarrassing, but fifth grade, my mom made like a big flower out of paper. Yeah. So my head was out here. Right. And you had this big flower. And then my sister, who's four years younger, she also was a flower. We both were oh, flowers cute. at grade school. It was, oh, I love it. It's adorable, but incredibly embarrassing because I was in fifth grade. Horror movie. Rear Window. Oh, yeah. That's Last week I did just rewatch oh. Psycho. No, that's which was good. very good. Anything yeah. Alfred Hitchcock is good. I like. Yeah. Um, Harrison Ford, his What Lies Beneath It. I love that one. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. How about uh, worst personality characters? Like, I don't think you have any. <laughs> People pleasing. Oh. Yeah, just like when I was talking about Tig and that she, her mom taught her to say, you know, if people have a problem with you, tell them to go to hell. I'm the absolute opposite. I'm like, what can I do to make it better? So that (laughs) I need a balance between, you know, Tig's mom, Susie, and and my people pleasing. Yeah. Instead of being someone who expects people to have all the strengths I think I need them to have. I resolved to try to be someone who focuses on the strengths they do have. Tig Nataro. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.